Well, good morning. I'm glad we gave some of you a chance to uh, channel your inner hippie there. But in 1965, Pete Sager wrote, and the birds sang, turn, turn, turn. The lyrics taken from our passage for today, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so let me invite you, if you have a Bible with you this morning or a device, you can take it in turn with me to, um, yeah, you get what you pay for, right? Uh, Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'd encourage you also, whether you have a Bible or a device or not, to take out these message notes. They have all of the passages that we're going to look at this morning, not only Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but the others and some places where you can uh, fill in some blanks and write some notes to yourself if you uh, care to do so. Now, once you've reached Ecclesiastes 3... Uh, what I'd like you to do is maybe put something in there, maybe your message notes or whatever, and turn over with me to uh, where we're going to start, Isaiah chapter 46, also in your Old Testament. So we're going to start in Isaiah 46, but ultimately end up in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, okay? Well, you have to have the right lenses on. If you're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and understand it correctly. Otherwise, um, it's a little skewed. You're going to miss the weight of what it's trying to communicate. And so I want to start with our thoughts to get us understanding and, and having those right lenses on. So start with me in Isaiah chapter 46. God is speaking. And it says beginning in verse 8. Remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago, that I am God and there is no other, that I am God and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land a man to fulfill his purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. And what I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness... I am bringing my righteousness near. It's not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. What God does here is he establishes that he alone is God. That God is separating himself from anything else in all of creation. And he's saying that I and I alone sit on top of all time. And I see not only the past, not only the present, but I see everything. And I make known the end from the beginning. I, says God, I am the one who decides. 
that I sit on top of all eternity and I see it all at once. Now, that's a very different viewpoint than what you or I have, right? You know, I'm a, I'm a planner. In fact, my wife's a planner, Janet, she's a planner. My, our firstborn, Jan, our Joanna, is a planner. Our youngest child, he just didn't stand a chance, I don't think. You know, his whole life he just is waiting for somebody to tell him what we're doing and when it is, you know. But as a planner, I can forecast my day, you know, my week maybe, or, or even my month at times, maybe a couple of months, but even then I'm limited, right? I mean, I don't know everything that might come, you know, things may not work out the way I have it planned, other people might change my plans as I lay it out and all of those different aspects, I'm limited, but what God is saying here is, I see better than you. Because when I see, says God, I don't just see a moment. I see all of the moments. Even the ones that haven't happened yet. And nothing happens apart from God's control. Did you notice in verse 11, he says, a hawk doesn't even hunt a mouse unless God ordains it. And so this God, our God, the only God, he's never surprised, he's never shocked, he sits on top of everything, and he sees forever. And so what Isaiah is saying here from the lips of God is that God is large and in charge, period. That nothing happens apart from his say-so. It's what John Calvin said in understanding the left and the right hand of God. The active hand of God and the passive hand of God. The hand of God that institutes things and and initiates things, and the hand of God that allows things. But either way, everything comes from the hand of God. That he is sovereign, that he alone is in control. The psalmist states it this way in Psalm 115. He says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, be the glory because you, of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. You see, God who sees it all, who exists outside of the limitations of time... He does what he does. But did you notice in verse 1, he's not a tyrant. He loves us. And he's faithful to those that he loves. But let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard 
for us to interpret what's going on in our lives or, or what's going on our, in our world as loving or as faithful. We who live in a sin-affected world, who experience things that sometimes are the consequences of our own sin, but more often than not, they're the consequences of just living in a world that's fallen and broken and because of sin in general. Things like pain and death and hurt and broken relationships and disease and suffering and on and on we could go. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon deals with this reality of living in a world that's fallen and broken. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Solomon says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. And I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. And whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Solomon says that life in this broken sin-saturated world that we live in is made up of a lot of different pieces. Some of them are good. The birth of a, of a new baby. Laughing. 
and embrace, dancing, love, a lot of good pieces. But he says there's also some of them that are bad. Death and weeping and mourning and dancing. Now, notice I put dancing in both categories. And that depends entirely upon how you dance, right? People have asked me, can Christians dance? And my answer is always the same. Some can, and some can't. But can we just all agree that whoever said dance like nobody's looking, that that is the worst advice ever, right? (laughs) But seriously, our life is made up of a lot of different pieces, good and bad. Maybe look at it like this way. Our lives are like the ingredients of a cake. A lot of different ingredients in there. There's sugar. I mean, yum. Who doesn't like sugar, right? But then there's eggs. Well, eggs are good. Not as good as sugar, but okay. And, and then there's salt. Yeah, you know, I mean, okay. And then there's flour. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I don't know anybody or I don't know anybody who likes to just eat flour, but I know a lot of people who like to eat cake. You see, life, like a cake, is made up of a lot of different ingredients, and all of these ingredients go together to produce a wonderful outcome. And some of the ingredients are tasty, and some of them not so much on their own, but they are all part of the plan that the divine baker has in store for us. And so let me just highlight a few points, three points, from what Solomon is saying here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, our takeaways from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. I think the first one is this, is that we need to learn to take the good with the bad. To take the good with the bad. Maybe you're familiar with the Old Testament story of Job. Job, after literally losing everything, do you remember? He lost his his family, he lost his possessions, he lost his wealth, boom, 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 he loses it all just like that. And then in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this. That at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. That was the cultural expression of the day of showing grief. And so he does these things and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked... I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. Now, if you are familiar with Job's story, we know something that Job didn't at this point. That earlier in the story, the evil one comes to God and says, Hey, you know that servant of yours, Job, he only loves and worships you because you've blessed him so much. And God says, that's not the case. In fact, devil, I give you permission to be able to take all of those blessings away so that everyone will know that he and others can love and worship me despite the blessings. And that's exactly what happens. You know, the Bible tells us, never shows us that Job learned what was going on. Never knew everything. He just loved and worshipped and followed Jehovah, the true God. You see, our problem, friends, is that we don't know everything. And so it only makes sense to surrender to the one who does. Back to Ecclesiastes 3. Look at verse 9 and 10. Solomon says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. That he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Solomon says, life is filled with both burdens and beauty. And the only way to make sense of it all is knowing that we are built for more than this life. That we are eternal beings. And that some of the things in this life will only make sense in the light of eternity. Revelation chapter 21, we we get to the end of God's redemptive story. And in Revelation 21, it says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. That, that God will literally be with us all the time. And verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes so that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, the things that make no sense in this life 
will be clarified in eternity. Where God will do away with all of the consequences of sin. And we, those of us who know Christ, we will live forever in the light of his glory and grace. That's the way Helen Lemel phrased it in her hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so, for right now, knowing that we currently live in a broken, fallen world. So we learn to take the good and the bad, the beauty and the burdens, knowing that we were made for more than this, that God has set eternity in our hearts. And so right now we live taking the good and the bad. Not only that, I think Solomon tells us secondly that we need to learn to be able to recognize what season we're in. Now, we live in the Midwest, so certainly we get this metaphor, right? See, we know that there will be glorious days when you can set out on the deck and walk in the sunshine and set under a tree. But we also know there will be days when it's freezing outside and there's inches of snow that we have to shovel and all the rest. You see, we have to read the season. Otherwise, we'll be wearing flip-flops in the snow. We'll be wearing our parkas to the beach. We'll be carrying around an umbrella during a drought. See, we have to know what season it is. And instead, God calls us to celebrate the birth of a new child. Ah, oh, what a wonderful season. And to dance at the wedding of a close friend. But also to cry at the heartbreak of someone that you love. Again, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. Solomon says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy. And to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And so we're to be fully alive under the reign of God. Knowing that all efforts to circumvent God's appointed seasons and times are futile. That man's duty 
is to recognize and accept the circumstances that are beyond our control. Solomon goes on in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And so we learn to read the seasons. That in the good times, we, we acknowledge the blessings of God. And we rejoice in them. We, we enjoy them. But also knowing there's going to be hard times and difficult seasons as well. And during those times, we, we trust. We lean on God. We accept what He's doing. The good and the bad. We read the seasons. And that leads us to point number three. Is that we are then to look to the one who is always in control of it all. Verse 15 says this, whatever, it, whatever is has already been done, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. Listen, friends, don't base your life, don't base your worth, don't base your identity upon how much you have life by a string. As if you have it all figured out and nothing or no one can stop your plans. <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth, right? But instead... God calls us to put our confidence in God's sovereign control of everything. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, God is too good to be unkind. And he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his You know, none of us really, let's think about it, none of us are surprised that bad things occur in this broken, fallen world. Am I right? I mean, let's take death, for example. The statistics on death are pretty consistent. Have you noticed that one out of every one people die? And so it's not, I don't think, that we're stunned by death as much as we want to be in control of the timing rather than trusting God for His timing. I mean, let's face it. If we were in control of our lives, it would be sunny and 76 degrees with a pleasant breeze and never a cloud in the sky all the time, right? Every day. That's what I would do. But instead, God calls us to trust Him with the weather of our lives. 
realizing that there's going to be sunny days and torrential downpours. That there will be beautiful weather and other times it will be cold and snowy. But God calls us who don't know everything to surrender to him, the one who does. And so I think that just leaves us with two questions today. Question number one is this. Do you know this God? Have you entered into a relationship with him that's only made possible through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross? I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm asking, have you received what Jesus did with his dying on the cross to pay the price so that you, a sinful human being, could have a relationship with the holy God of the universe? Have you done that? Have you received that? Have you, in response to that, bowed your knee and surrendered yourself to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you done that? Listen to me, friend. If you haven't, or if you're not sure that you have, then don't leave here today without talking to someone who can help you know that Jesus is your Savior, that you have surrendered to this God. Well, for many of us in this room, probably the majority, we've done that. Probably many of us would say, well, I, I know that I've done that. Well, for you then, there's a second question. And that question is this. Is he still fully in control of you? I mean, are you still fully surrendering to him with everything in your life? Not last week... When you asked him to be your savior, not two months ago, not 20 years ago, not 50 years ago, but today, right now, is he still Lord over everything? You see, we don't know everything. And so it only makes sense to surrender to the one who does. Well, let's pray together. Father God, I would, I would ask that you would bring clarity to what Solomon is saying here, that where I might have clouded things, that your spirit, Lord, would just speak truth to each of us right now. Lord, to the person who's here and maybe they aren't sure that they really do have a relationship with you. Lord, give them the courage. Help them 
step out to talk to someone, whether that's a prayer team person or someone that they came with or someone that they know, to say, I want to know that I know this God, that I have a relationship with him. Give them the courage, give them the will to take that step today. And then, Lord Jesus, I pray as well for others of us to truthfully examine our lives, no matter what season we're walking in right now, but to be able to examine and ask ourselves, are you Lord over everything? And Lord, I pray that you would give many of us the courage to say what's true and to take the step to say, I want that to change today. I want you back in charge. I bow in full acknowledgement that you are in control of me. I surrender it all to you. I don't know everything, but I know that you do. And so, God, help us leave here this morning a people who've given it all to you, who've surrendered it all to you, who are following with all we have you, despite the good or the bad, despite the season that we're in, that we've surrendered it all to you. I pray it in your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.